listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. In your twilight years of your life, are you going to look back and say, boy, I sure had great Instagram photos? Would it not be more meaningful if you had a grandchild's hand to hold on to, to sing hymns with you, and to encourage you, say, Grandma, I will see you again. I can't wait. The land that we're talking about, the land of Israel, God owns it. And anyone who's been on it, biblically or otherwise, has only been a manager or a steward. Jesus clearly believed in the Trinity. He rose from the dead, and until you do, I'm going with Jesus as the best witness to the truth of what is meant in the Christian church by the term Trinity. When we're talking about the, the liturgy, what we're not talking about is a style of worship. Rather, we're talking about a theology of worship. Aerobatic pilots, at least this one, love issues, etc. Clear! <laughs> there is a prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 33 that ends, The Lord is our righteousness. How does that connect to the fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus Christ? And when that prophecy is made, The recipients of the prophecy, the house of David, the house of Israel, they don't exist anymore. How God makes impossible promises that are kept in Jesus Christ. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, December the 8th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about Advent and the love of God with Dr. John Bombaro, beginning with that Jeremiah prophecy in chapter 33. It'll be part 17 of our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. Then we'll round everything off today in our series, Answering Arguments Against Christianity Today, the argument that the Trinity is a late theological construct. Craig Parton, author of a chapter in our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, will be our guest. Dr. John Bombaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a column titled, The First Fact of Advent, God's Love. John, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Todd. What promise does God make through the prophet Jeremiah in the 33rd chapter of that book? It begins in verse 14, and you could say it extends all the way to the very end of that chapter, but really it's the those first verses there, 14 through 16, that reiterate an earlier divine promise that was made by God, and it reoccurred on multiple occasions. And God gives us these promises to take away our doubt and to assuage our impatience. So the, the promise comes like this, the days are coming, says the Lord, the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell securely. And this is the name by which the city of God shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So this is 
obviously a fantastic text for Advent, heralding this profound messianic promise in prophecy form coming through the prophet Jeremiah speaking the words of the Lord as they were inspired and he reiterates them for us and they're recorded in Holy Scripture and again for that purpose that we might be anticipating the fulfillment of this promise. Why is it significant that the promise is made to the house of Israel? Yeah, really that should jolt us that we even see the house of Israel and and that's because when Jeremiah gives this prophecy It happened sometime after the year of 628 BC, which is a full hundred years after the house of Israel. That's to say the northern ten tribes of Israel were carried off into exile by the Babylonians in 722 BC. So here he's talking about the house of Israel having a great promise of the Lord fulfilled, particularly about the righteous king ruling over them, and they're non-extant. So 10 of the 12 tribes are gone. The other two tribes are of the house of Judah, consisting of Judah and Benjamin. But any time from 722 forward where we find prophecies concerning Israel, we have to remember that Israel ceased to exist. They had been absorbed into and rendered indistinguishable from the Gentiles. So the promise being made here should have jolted the Jews. And as we read it, We should think about Israel not being present in the way that it was then. So any kind of promise made about Israel means that it's going to be reconstituted in some kind of fantastically new fashion. And that's important. So that's why when we read anything concerning Israel or the house of Israel from the time of the 8th century forward, we need to be looking to God to do something really fantastic, and that is to reconstitute Israel anew. What about the house of David? Well, that's where things get even more desperate in this prophecy. So not only would the Jews have read this and been jolted by the impossibility of God fulfilling a promise to a non-extent Israel, that's to say the northern ten tribes, and then indeed all of Israel being reconstituted as a unified kingdom under a unified king, that's to say all twelve tribes under the Lord, So not only that seemed absolutely impossible because the Jews weren't there, but so too the house of David, the house of David, that royal bloodline that ran from David through Solomon and then his sons, Rehoboam and continuing forward, his prodigy was cursed on account of the wickedness of both the kings and the people, such that culminated in the godless rule of Jehoiachin in the early 500s. And so we get Jeremiah speaking in precatory denunciation concerning the descendants of David, saying that no descendant of Jehoiachin would ever reign the throne of Israel. This is from Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse 30. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So we have the northern ten tribes, Israel, lost to the sands of time, and then we read this about the kingship in Judah, that this comes to a dead end as well. So how would God fulfill this impossible promise? Well, it's going to have to be utterly miraculous, because these are two dead ends. You know, the Lord has this way of 
cutting off our eyes, looking to any other kind of institution to bring about salvation or the fulfillment or peace. And he drives us time and time again to himself. You see this throughout the Old Testament, whether they're trusting in, uh, you know, the rod, well, that needs to be snapped in half. And, you know, if you think it's the manna, well, that's going to go rotten. Even the temple itself, if you think that the temple is the fulfillment, well, that's going to be gone. So anytime that we think it's an individual, whether it's David and he's the solution or no, it, it reaches its apex in Solomon. The Lord ends all of that and curves it back onto himself where, where only the Lord can bring about the fulfillment of an impossible situation. So this impossible promise comes in the image of a new shoot sprouting up from the stump of an old tree. And so the scripture reads, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. So it's talking about a descendant for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness. So we're looking for a man who stands in the lineage, in the genealogical line of David, a Davidic king. In those days, Judah will be saved. He's bringing salvation. And Jerusalem, that's to say the people of God, where God dwells amongst this people, that will be a place of peace and security. And this is the name by which the city of God shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The place where God dwells amongst his people, where he is present, the city of God, which is the holy church, shall be called the Lord is our righteousness. Not that we have a righteousness of our own, but the Lord is our righteousness. So, what we have here in terms of the fulfillment of this stunning promise is that it fits the situation of the truncated Davidic dynasty just perfectly. David's lineage has been decimated, you know, since the days of Rehoboam. And what we're going to get now is a shoot to spring up from this stump of Jesse. So where it looked like all things were impossible, where the tree had been felled, where there was nothing left except a dead stump. From this, God will bring forth life. And even hints at how this may be done in a few places in Scripture where we have Abram's wife falling pregnant well past the time of childbearing. And likewise with Hannah, it's going to come about by way of a miraculous birth. All of these signs coalesce to show us that only this is the hand of the one and only true and living God. That indeed, I mean, talk about encouragement Indeed, the Creator God is going to come and visit us to redeem His people. And that's part of the, the fulfillment of the prophecy here, that it's going to also include the Gentiles. So what does it mean that the Lord Himself will be our righteousness? I know that it says that, but what, it, what does that actually mean? Yeah, well, this is the key to the whole prophecy, that it would be the Lord who would be Israel's righteousness. So as we're reading through this text and, and we're looking at it for a messianic fulfillment, God's king will represent his people. And who are his people? His people are reconstituted Israel, an Israel that's been absorbed into the Gentiles and now must include the Gentiles as well as the Jews. They will be brought together as a one people in one family. But it would be the Lord who would be their righteousness, that they would not have a righteousness of their own. So just as we see throughout all of Holy Scripture driving us in one direction, it's not going to be the people, it's not going to be their attempts to keep the law, it won't be the land that will provide their righteousness, nor their heritage or pedigree. 
and not even a regular descendant of David, not the temple. The Lord would have to be their righteousness because, just as St. Paul writes in Romans 3, reiterating two Psalms in the Old Testament, a passage repeated three times over in Scripture, that none is righteous, no, not one. We cannot bring forth righteousness before the Lord. So the Lord's righteousness would not only need to be manifest before all, that he keeps his promises, the promise that he makes is the ones that he fulfills. But in addition to that, that on our behalf, he would fulfill all righteousness and that he would impute that righteousness before us that we might be justified, vindicated before his law. And he would do it for Jew and Gentile alike by reconstituting Israel within himself. So instead of doing the law, Jews and Gentiles would trust in the Lord to be our righteousness and to count us as righteous for his own sake. What moves God to keep this promise? Well, beautifully and clearly in Scripture, it tells us that it's the love of God. We get this even in the wonderful announcement that comes in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This only begotten Son is the righteous shoot that comes up from the stump of David. He is the legitimate Son, the legitimate King. He is the Lord's agent, the agent to establish justice and righteousness before the law of God and to vindicate all of God's promises to redeem and renew and restore, which is why all of the best words in the scriptures begin with this wonderful prefix, re, renew, redeem, restore, regenerate, recreate. All of that is for us, and what moves him to do that is his love. You say that God's love in Christ refashions a new humanity, and you've mentioned it here before, but finally explain what that means to refashion a, a new humanity in Christ. Yeah, so it isn't just simply that God fulfills the law for us, but he cleanses us from sin so that his spirit may indwell us and that we're transformed. So justification has following with it a regeneration, a renewing of humanity in the last Adam, David, um, the last Adam who is Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of God, true son of Mary. A new humanity is being reconstituted in the Israel that is the Holy Church, united to Christ and finding our life flowing from him to us. So it isn't merely that the law is fulfilled and then you know we're cut loose and we can just behave as we will. All of it is that by great love, the Son is sent and redeems us, and the one who is the love of God now indwells us so that we are transformed, not only by his love in terms of action, but that his love is literally within us, and that his spirit is within us, refashioning a new humanity so that we don't have to live according to the old nature, according to the old things that kept us in bondage. We are now liberated to obey and follow Christ in his spirit, according to his word, being refreshed by his word and sacraments by which he moves us from grace to grace and in faith to faith. Dr. John Bambaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a column titled The First Fact of Advent, God's Love, 
You can read it at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. John, thanks. A blessed Advent to you and yours. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December is a children's book, ages 5 through 9. It make a great Christmas gift. It's called N is for Nativity, Christmas from A to Z. Through the alphabet, it tells the story of our Savior's birth. Find out more about N is for Nativity at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 and order N is for Nativity, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December. When we come back, part 17 of our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military spiritual, and religious. You're listening to Issues Etc. The church is a family, St. Paul writes, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. At Redeemer Lutheran Church, we rejoice to be a part of that household of faith gathered around the gifts of Christ in word and sacrament. If you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area, it would be our pleasure to have you join our family. We also have the privilege of serving the University of Kansas. If you have a son or daughter who attends KU or one of the other area universities, we would love for them to join us and to make Redeemer their home away from home. For more information about our church, please visit redeemer-lawrence.org. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time.